Hey, welcome to the Road and Morale podcast. Did you ever feel like screaming out in the office on Zoom or outside the school gate? For the love of God, come on, really? And if this is you and you're looking for an honest, fun and frank podcast on life and business, then sit back and listen to me, Rona Morrell. I'll be bringing great people on the show to talk, share and debate their life experiences and business challenges. Keeping the show unpolished, but with a fun and unique British style. With sarcasm, tenacity, or maybe a few swear words or tears. This podcast keeps it real, honest, raw, and removes the bullshit in the only way I know how. Through authenticity and getting shit done. Think of it less like the Housewives of New York or Towie with the lipo and drama, and more like the house lives of the real world. I hope you'll take something away to be better informed, laugh, smile, or maybe even finally get in the confidence to shout, come on really. So enjoy. Hey Dean, how are you today? Welcome to the Rain and Morale podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. It's an honour to be here. Oh, you're very, very welcome. And um, I'm very privileged to kind of have your time right now because I know you are packing to move to California. Um, and if anyone clocks the black eye, it wasn't the wife. It was a, <laughs> it was a box that you were packing up, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I had a more sexier story uh, other than a box dropping on my head. So. Yeah, I think you probably need to manipulate one there. But um, So listen, for the listeners on today's podcast, I'm genuinely super excited to have Dean and has an incredible background. So Dean is an ex-special British Forces officer. Um, he happens to hold two times world record, and you're an adventurer, a philanthropist, an international speaker, and also an author, whilst being a husband, an individual, and, and, and a dad as well. So um, huge kudos to you. Um, you were in the Special Forces for 16 years, and I know you left circa 2011? 2011 I left, yes. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that's always stuck with you, and this is what we're going to talk about today, is that kind of unrelenting pursuit for excellence in everything that you've done. And since leaving the forces, obviously you, you went into private security, and uh, I know you face kidnapping, pirates, extortion. Um, this is starting to sound like a film now, isn't it? Um, but I think one of the most incredible things, obviously, that, that we can attribute to you is that you single-handedly... Um, were responsible for the evacuation in the Canadian Embassy in 2014 where you saved 22 people's lives. So I'm feeling about this more right now. <laughs> so yeah, for the listeners, that's a bit of a background about um, Dean and, and the reason why we're kind of doing this podcast is I'm a massive believer of getting things done right and getting them done really bloody well. So Dean, welcome. And Please tell us a little bit more about how this kind of pursuit of excellence has, was, was built into you, I guess, in, in the, the Special Forces, but how you've continued to live your life that way. Yeah, I, I think it may have been ingrained even as a younger age. My, my father was in the military as well, but my, my father was very competitive. You know, he played, he was the army football manager and coach. So very much I, I saw it in him that it was always his inspiration to, or, you know, to win. He always wanted to win. And even to the point of Christmas Day when we're playing board games, it got that competitive. And so I had that competitive drive uh, from himself. I probably didn't have the confidence in myself until I progressed further in the military. When I joined the military, I was about 
nine and a half stone and five foot seven and um, my father telling me I'd last two minutes which was probably reverse psychology but as I started growing as an individual physically um, I was also growing mentally as well so I was doing some of the arduous courses that the military had to offer I mean when I was actually passing them I mean looking back at them and thinking actually they weren't as bad as I anticipated so one of my other quotes is anticipation is worse than participation you know a lot okay of- a lot of people look at things and think, oh, no, I, I, I couldn't do that. But then actually on reflection, it wasn't that bad. So I always then looked forward. It was like, well, what, what can we do next? And I then progressed to UK Special Forces, as you said. And then you're then in an audience or within a group of like-minded individuals. You know, nothing is impossible. It's like, how can we do it? You know, and people say you can't. It's like, well, you know, what's... You if we can, yeah, watch this space. We will, we will do it. Um, so I just love that that mindset, and I, I felt really comfortable in that environment. And again, with those guys around me, it was still very competitive um, as well. You, you felt like there was a lot of a lot of pressure. Your people were watching you. You, you just didn't want to let anyone down, especially your, your teammates. Um, but as you rightly said, when I left the military in 2011, which is which was premature because of a a parachute accident, it was very difficult for me to, because I just thought everyone had that same mindset, everyone had that same approach, and and, and it, that isn't the case, and, and that's the way the world goes around. If everyone fought like that, you know, <laughs> yeah. it'd be quite difficult to stand out. But thankfully for me, my wife, you know, Alana, is very entrepreneurial, and meeting someone as a as a partner and, and and a wife who has that same mindset really helped me when I when I left and again I had someone in my ear if I doubted it myself that I couldn't do it Alana's, yeah. very, Alana's very good at saying well if you can't do it just just leave it knowing that that will play away in my that mind. would trigger you yeah. and you'd be like oh, how dare you say that <laughs> yeah, how, how dare you I'll go away and prove her wrong um but obviously with her sort of skill sets as well we, we then formed a, a great team out of the military because it, um, what it was is it's an identity crisis. It's not just yeah. people that work in the military, people that work in close-knit teams, maybe when you're at Red Bull as well and, and, and other teams. And then when you, when you leave that environment, you feel like you, you don't belong to a tribe or you don't belong anywhere as well. So it's known as an identity crisis. Now, how do I now fit in? And it's interesting what you say about you just assume people think the same of you. And I know that sounds, it, it sounds a bit arrogant, but I feel like that sometimes with work. I'm like, but that's just common sense. Why wouldn't you treat someone with respect? Why wouldn't you do the job properly? And, and you soon realise as you grow and develop that if you carry on believing that everyone wants the best things, you just get really upset, frustrated and angry. It just doesn't work like that. Now, everyone has their own sort of motivations and, and yeah it is and I, I was quickly Alana again sort of grounded me on that you know one of the first lessons we have in the, the very first lesson you have in the military is timekeeping and you, right. have, you always have to be there five minutes before and I remember you know going to meetings and people would be running late and you know, not even like five ten minutes I'm thinking 30 40 minutes and not even an apology and I just thought all oh, right this is just the way way the world is but um whereas for me you know if you tell me once i'll I'll be there you don't need need to follow up but um and that's the thing as well is just understanding that people don't and they're not to blame them either for thinking like that you know you just need to understand yourself and the quicker that you understand 
the better. Um, there's, a, there's a real, a lot of the service leavers in the military, they really struggle with this. Uh, and I think this is where I've been quite successful is the fact that they think this world here owes them something or um, don't understand the military world. And they, they tend to just come to log ahead. When in fact, it's actually nothing wrong with the rest of the world. It's us that are unique from our backgrounds and we need to fit into their world. And as soon as we, people understand that, things are a lot, lot smoother. Um, I guess in that sense, you're really you're the minority by the very nature of, the, of what you're trained to do. You're meant to be, you, we don't know what you do. Everything you do is, is secret. So therefore, how, how can we empathize with? I mean, the, probably the closest we get to it now is, you know, SAS who dares wins. Yeah. And I don't know how you feel when you watch that show. Are you screaming at it going, oh, this is a load of shit, you know, whatever. But I, I really enjoyed the show in terms of business, from a business angle. Um, but yeah, we don't know what you do. So Yeah, well, SAS Who Dares Wins. I was originally asked to be the chief instructor on that show. So, and Really? Just, yeah, yeah. So chapter 19 in the book Relentless called SAS Who Dares Wins. So... But for me, so I got Ant and Foxy on the show, but I stepped, I decided to step back. Why? Uh, there, was a, there was a few things really. So obviously, you know, uh, maintaining that reputation within the Special Forces group, it's almost, it's a, it's a bit of a no-no to just go do that stuff on TV. Um, you know, you right. can be persona non gratis from the group, whereas for me, it was all about maintaining that reputation and respect. Um, but for Ant and Foxy, Ant had just come out of jail, so he had no work. Foxy had post-traumatic stress, so he couldn't work mm. in the security industry. So for them, it was, a, it was the only option that was available to them, and, and rightly so, they went away and did it. But for me, with my relationships with the likes of the Duke of Sussex, with evacuating yeah. people across borders, it doesn't work if you're all over Channel 4 screaming and shouting at people. To, um, I get that. So to continue with what I was doing, I had to obviously remain in the shadows. And let's be honest, um, as, as, as handsome as you are, I think many women are very grateful that Ant uh, made it to our TV screen. Yeah. <laughs> aesthetically, aesthetically looks good. He probably lacks a bit of knowledge, but uh, he's, he's pleasing on the eye. Definitely, that. definitely, we'll, we'll, we'll take that. Um, so yeah, let, let's come back to kind of this, um, you know, pursuit of excellence and, it's actually interesting in terms of, I guess, with what you just explained of why you stepped away and came back, that was around doing what you do brilliantly. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that's it. You know, I, I couldn't, couldn't do what I was doing if, if, if I was all over the, the TV. And, um, you know, the Special Force community is a very small community. We do a lot, we still, even when we're out, there's a lot that goes on which people aren't aware of. And yeah. I would have just blocked off one of my one of my uh, one of my channels really but you know thankfully for me I've, I've managed to find the balance just right in the yeah. fact that you are in the public eye people do know your special forces but you're not upsetting the group and I think that's where the philanthropy angle comes into it as well is that whatever I do for media like the bike ride or whatever is to promote or raise awareness of a, a charity or a or a cause and obviously mm. the bike ride was mental health so no, the feedback from the military disclosures, keep doing what you're doing, um, you know, because you are putting the military in a good light. And it's good to see that, you know, there's different types of individuals in the military. You know, the, the Who Dares Win show is, I've never watched it, but I, I hear it's just 
people screaming and shouting at students. Um, yeah. But I understand having worked in the, in the world of media, there's a fine line between authenticity and entertainment. And it very much goes on the balance to entertainment. Because actually, if, yeah. you, if you did film the real selection, it'd be quite boring. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I, I do get it. And that's why I sympathize with the lads as well. Is they've probably been steered down that way and, and to have that. And I, and I suppose living in such a private, close world, when you're then represented in a, in a way that really doesn't live and breathe what you do and, and yeah. the, the scale of enormity of what you guys have to deal with um, probably feels like a bit of a kick in the teeth, I guess. Yeah, yeah, probably. And it, the world of the media, it gives you the wrong perception. I remember when I joined the military in 95 and we watched full metal jacket and everyone was like, oh, you're going to be eating bully beef and you're going to be screamed and shouted at. And yes, there's an element of that, but it's not like that uh, at all. And it's actually a great environment. And you, you learn so many, so many skill sets that you pick up from, from the military when, when you're leaving. And, and I, I, when people are transitioning and leaving, a lot of them, you know, I, I don't have a degree. A lot of them don't have degrees, but I... Yeah. I've sat there and I've delivered a set of orders in front of hundreds of people. Um, you know, I've had to make decisions. It's your life and death um, at that moment. Um, whereas now with the world of social media and mobile phones, people are really struggling to, to present in front of an audience. Uh, yeah. and, and be open. So it's these sort of skill sets we, we take for granted, which the, you know, people are sort of lacking in, in the civilian sector. And I think it's, it's recognising that, that the unique um, skills that you do have and being open and, you know, as you said, having Alana, who's very entrepreneurial, but being able to bounce those ideas off someone to say, you may think you've only got this and it's not applicable, but wow, have you thought about all of these different options that are open to you? And I guess you've done that through, through writing, speaking, I mean... What made you go, because I, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you did the world record with the bike, you smashed the world record by seven days? 17 days, yes. 17 days. 17 days, yes. Yeah, I did, yeah. How? Probably for your listeners as well, when I applied for the world record, I'd only ever cycled 20 miles. Um, <laughs> so I, I just returned home from evacuating the Canadian embassy and... Normally, what I would do is I would wash and iron my clothes. I call it re-cocking. So I just re-cock. Mag would be there ready for the next phone call because I would be then called to go anywhere in the world. And it was a great lifestyle. I enjoyed it because it was what was almost mirroring the military. Um, and one of my shirts was covered in blood because I'd administered first aid at an RTA on the border. And I said to Alana, I said, can we get the blood out of the shirt? She said, yes, we can, but I'm more concerned why there's blood in there. I, <laughs> yeah. I sort of told her what I'd just done, and, and she said, have you heard yourself? It's almost like it was a throwaway comment. You know, for me to evacuate 20, 18 military and four diplomats safely, it was almost like that's a, a box ticking exercise, what's next? And yeah. um, this is when the pin dropped, and actually chapter 16 in the book's called Dead or Divorce. This is the stage we're at at this point. And uh, Alana... I was basically trying to match the adrenaline rush I had when I was still in the special forces without actually coming to terms with the fact that I'd left. Um, yeah. And we sat down and Alana thought that I wanted to go away. And I thought that Alana wanted me to go away to bring in some more money for the businesses. 
So it was actually a lack of communication. And from that day on, Elan and I communicate about everything, you know. Uh, we, yeah. we, just, we just misread the situation. So Alana was a property developer and she said, look, come, come do property developing with her. And uh, I did. And it was about that, that period of leaving the military to now is about five years. I had a parachute accident. So I tore my ACL, my MCL, lateral meniscus, my hamstring, my quad and my calf. Um, you screwed your leg, basically. Yeah, screwed my leg. yeah, so this leg was now two kilos lighter than the good leg. And because I was so fixated on working and, and everything else, I'd neglected my own physical and mental well-being. So I bought a push bike off Amazon and I used to cycle to and from the office, which is only eight miles there, eight miles back. But, you know, sat in these architects and planners meetings with my backstory, you know, I wasn't really interested in what no. they were talking about at all. And Alana could see that that glaze over the eyes. So it was a month before my 40th birthday and I decided I'd love to do a world record. As a young boy, always, you know, drooled over the Guinness World Records and fascinated by the stories. And yeah, having only cycled 20 miles, applied for the world record for the world's longest road, which runs from the southern point of Argentina to northern Alaska, 14,000 miles. So it's equivalent of cycling because of the curvature of the earth. It's equivalent yeah. of cycling from London to Sydney and then another 4,000 miles. And I, I knew I wasn't a cyclist, but I knew I was very good from my time in the military and the private school in planning projects. And planning, focus, delivery. Focus, yeah, preparation, training. And I just, I just did that. I just took a military set of orders, put it on the project and just crossed out ammunition. And, um, <laughs> and I suppose as well, because you have that ability, oh yeah, I've just saved uh, 22 people. And uh, you, you wouldn't look at 14,000 kilometers like, I would. Yeah, no, no. Well, I, I again, to, to, to break it down, I thought, yeah, 14,000 miles, is, you know, if, if, you, if you looked at that, you'd consume it, you wouldn't even get on the bike um, or, or even get on, on the flight. But again, it was, it was knowledge and experience from my time in the military. For example, the special forces selection is six months long. So right. on day one of that, you're not thinking about, you know, six months later getting your beret and belt and everything else. You're thinking about, what have I got in front of me today? You know, what, what have I got to do today to, to then get on to tomorrow? And that's what I did with this challenge. I, I, I broke the 14,000 miles into 14 countries, into days, and broke the days into four stages. Right. Um, because nutrition and hydration were key, uh, I had to stay on, on top of that. So I would just cycle as fast as I could for two hours. I'd get off the bike, have some food and water. Uh, but again, disciplined in my timings, it was 30 minutes. I mean, I was right. and, I, and I wasn't having a selfie with a llama. I wasn't chatting to the documentary team or thing like that. And then all I would do is look at the next two hours. I wouldn't get too um, tied up with what's coming up next week or the big mountains in Ecuador. So for me, it's actually I was just doing four training sessions a day. Before you know it, you've done right. you've done a day, and it's almost like chipping away at the iceberg. You know, I mean, you know, a lot of these corporates, you know, they'll have their targets that they need to hit. And, you know, again, they're just overwhelmed by it. But actually, when you break it down, yeah, uh, uh, you, you, you can achieve it. And, that, and that's all I did with this. I just tricked And that's them. a better kind of mental state of, of being, isn't it? Because you're a bit like mental health. It's like, let's just get through the next few hours. Let's get through today. Um, and you feel that achievement at the end of the two hours instead of going, not giving yourself that break and celebrating all of those little wins throughout the journey. Yeah, and that's it. And also at the end of the day, I made sure I was where I was supposed to be, uh, what the objective I've set or, or even further. Because I think 
I'd see other people doing challenges and they're like, you know, I'm 10 miles behind today, but I'll catch that up tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen the next day. You could have another bad day and be now 20 to 30 miles behind. And that plays with your, with your head. Yeah. You're, you're behind when you wake up. So for me, I always stayed on the bike to ensure I'd hit the target. So, you know, some of the audience in business, maybe just stay in the office, those extra two or three calls. You know, hit your objectives because then you're in a better headspace coming into the next day. Yeah, and I think that's quite an interesting concept in itself because I think where a lot of people end up being is just never getting to that point where they've achieved anything. So they're working super late, they're doing emails at night, they're getting up early, they're working on a weekend, and that's not that's not excellence. That's not planning. Um, and so I think. <clears throat> many of the listeners can take that away and, and being, being realistic about what you set yourself, be it stretching. Um, I remember once I, jo I joined a company and my, my sales target was, was three digit growth um, and they've been in decline for seven years. I, and you kind of go, you've just, you have fundamentally set me up to fail because yeah. it doesn't matter what I do. I, I can't, I can't get to that point. That's, yeah, yeah. And so going the other way is, is, is too far. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, true. And um, when you talk about the planning, the planning is good. You can have the best plan in the world. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't go to plan. And I think that was, you know, I sort of contradict myself sometimes. I say, you know, this, yes, it's a great endurance feat, but the planning and preparation was, was crucial. But actually, it was what was happening on the ground and being reactive to the changes on the ground which was the success of this. So, for example, um, you know, I took 10 days off the South America world record. You know, I was going, going well ahead. So the world record, as you mentioned, was 117 days. I was always aiming for 110. It wasn't because I wanted to smash it by a week. When I'd done my planning and put pen to paper, you know, I looked at all the potential scenarios that we could come across and then looked at alternative options that we had. But there's things that are out of your control, be it natural disasters, yeah. coups, third party influence that it wasn't if we came across that it wasn't eating into my my record time it was eating into that as I call it fudge so I always had 110 days target but I got to I got to North America on day 70 and I was 14 days ahead I was like perfect you know I can take a day's rest here or there if need be and Alana uh, was the campaign director for the whole challenge and she was very good in keeping all the distractions away from me and I had five missed calls off her within an hour of getting into America. And I just thought, something's wrong. Something's wrong with the kids, yeah, something like that. And um, she rang me and told me we'd been kindly invited to Harry and Meghan's wedding, which changed <laughs> completely this whole challenge. So for me, to <laughs> I had to be home by day 102, which is 15 days ahead. So, so going into the phone call, I was 14 days ahead. 10 minutes later, I'm now a day behind. So <laughs> until that point it was not been wasted but it's just like doesn't please count. tell me Harry and Megan gave you an extra bit of cake at that wedding yeah, <laughs> I, I, I needed it I lost 12 kilos so yeah I, I, I did need it so so that's what I mean the, the, the situation sort of changed on the ground I got to Lubbock in Texas the next day and we had 60 mile an hour winds and tornadoes so I was grounded for another 24 hours so I just put pen to paper, looked at the, um, there's an app called Windy TV, which gives you the strength right. and directions of the winds. And I just, I just made a plan. Uh, I had to cycle 340 miles in the next 36 hours. And I just played chess with mother nature. So that wasn't the original plan. No. 
it's how I had to change the way I cycled and, you know, uh, to gain that time. But what you say there is key. I think I've, I've worked in organizations before and I know contacts have where people have a plan and it's good to plan, but yeah. they're so bloody rigid yeah. on that plan and, re, you know, relentless. No, I'm going to do it this way and this is where we're going to get to. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in that. And that is worse than not planning. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 yeah. You, you have to be, you have to be flexible. You, you have it. So I always had my start point and I always had my objective. I had a plan, which was like, it was going to be perfectly straight. It was going to be no issues at all, but it wasn't. It was literally, we would bounce our way up until we hit the, uh, the objective. And, and like you said, um, the world record was 117 days. I, I came in in 99 days. And again, that wasn't the plan. I got a week outside and I, I covered North America in 11 and a half days. Originally, I had 17 days before I had the phone call about Harry. So I gained all yeah. that and was back ahead uh, where I should be. I then received a phone call um, that one of the professional cyclists, sponsored by Red Bull, Austrian team, was, oh. uh, yeah, had come out on social media that day. I think he had three other world records um, and said that he was going to cycle the Pan American Highway in August and be the first man in history to do it under 100 days. So I was that. The dynamics had changed again completely. No, you're bloody not. <laughs> uh, it, it was a bit like that. For me, you know, if I didn't give it my 100%, I could have just relaxed and still broken the world record, still gone to the wedding. But for me, it was like, would I be able to live myself back home knowing I hadn't given it my, my all? So I cycled for 22 hours in the last 30 hours in minus 18 to come in and under the 99 days, 12 hours and 56 minutes. And then obviously then became you know, the first man in history to do it under 100 days. But for me, if I'd known about Harry, if I'd known about uh, this cyclist from day one, would it have been too much for me to comprehend? Would I push myself even harder? Too far. You just don't know. You just deal with what is delivered to you on the day. I guess in a way then, the, the, the second phone call about the, the other athlete was probably what you needed to kind of make, you know, not relax and, and have that phone call not have happened. Who knows? You might have been 104 days and still smashed the record. Probably would have, yeah, probably would have been. But even to the very last two days, the very last day, I was even putting pen to paper. The, the plan was changing again. So I, I had 250 miles for the last two days. So I thought I'd do 150 miles today, 100 miles tomorrow, and I'm well in under the 100 days. And um, I did the first 50 miles, and I got to this checkpoint, this, this roadblock on Dalton's Highway. And the Americans being Americans are black and white. It doesn't matter what you're doing, whatever world record, whatever royal wedding, it doesn't matter. You're not passing until 8 o'clock <laughs> at night. So they took eight hours off me straight away. On that <laughs> so I had to do another. So I had, I, that evening, I, I, you know, 8 o'clock, I got out of the RV, and I just cycled from that evening till 7 o'clock the next evening for 200 miles in minus 18 just to make sure... That we did it so even to the very last day the plan was yeah changing but again i think that was the successes yes it's nice to have a plan but it's, it's a plan it needs to have flex it can't be rigid yeah because nothing in life business challenges whatever something always always happens and you know you spoke earlier about having that fudge time and as someone who does a lot of project management you know, you, you, you put in time and you always put in budget, but the amount of times you get pushback on that goes, no, 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 I don't, I don't want any, I don't want any extra time in. I don't want any extra budget in. And you're like, 
but you're damn foolish if you think this is going to happen without something going wrong or some sort of delay or some cost increase, you know? And so, yeah, I think that ability to be agile, I guess you learned as a skill set as well in the special forces because you're doing things that you've got no idea how the, the situation is going to change in very quick. No, and true. And, and, and for me, I forgot to mention earlier, one of the, again, one of the successes of this is when I was doing my planning, um, I was doing research about cycling. I just wasn't getting the right information that I needed. But the reason we, we are the best special forces in the world, it isn't because we've got the best um, individuals or the best training. It's because we're always learning, we're always evolving. And if we're making mistakes, we're changing. So when we used to come off the ground on operations, before we'd even go clean our weapons or, or do anything else that we needed to do, we'd have what's known as a hot debrief. And the first three questions were, what worked? what didn't work and if you were going to do it again what would you do differently so i spoke to the previous world record holders and i asked them those three questions and they yeah. all started in alaska and finished in argentina and all their issues were in in south and central america um so for me it was well and one thing i was quite proud of is i just turned it on its head i said well that just because you've done it that way doesn't mean it's the right way yeah um, and I went from, because for me, I thought I'd address the issues early, get them out of the way. And then when we get into North America, we shouldn't have any issues. But strangely enough, all my issues are in North America, heading in everything else. So, uh. <laughs> but, but again, that's simple. There's a piece there around, you know, moving towards excellence. And it is about reflection. It's being honest about when you've made a mistake, what, you know, what you would do differently. And just by flipping it on its head and just doing it in the opposite, it just sounds obvious, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And I mean, a lot of people just see what everyone else is doing, think that's the right path. But when you've got the information in front of you, uh, you know, then you make your own decision. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. So tell me a little bit about your other world record that you've got. Yeah, so the other one is for South America. So, so the South America world record, um, I sort of did as a, I call it a Brucey bonus. It was almost like a, a, mini, a mini goal to go for. The Pan American Highway was the one I was going for. But South America, I managed to do that in 48 days, taking 10 days off the previous world record. Um, so for me, it was almost, you know, little targets, small targets to go for as you yeah. go. As you go so have, you, have you since spoken to the previous holders since you've smashed their target? I spoke, I, I, um, I haven't spoken to Carlos who did in 117 days. When I applied for the world record, Scott Napier had it in 125 days. Six weeks later, when Guinness came back to me and said, you've been successful, it already been beaten by eight days. So I was like, great. But I actually did, um, I actually did meet Michael from Red Bull in Austria when I was cycling in Vienna. He went on to beat my world record. And I went, yeah, I went cycling with him, but he... He said that, um, I was chatting to him and his fiance, and he said, I put him under so much pressure because his sponsors were like, ah, well, you better do this because this guy is 41 years old. He's never cycled before and he's just done it under 100 days. So it just put him on this extreme. extreme. <laughs> um, but as he said, um, I stole his legacy. I, I think three other cyclists have now done it under 100 days, but he said, you were the first man in history to do it. And funny enough, my sponsorship marketing team, when we did the SWOT analysis right at the beginning of the project, uh, you know, your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities and your threats, the only weakness that came back was my arrogance towards the cycling community. 
And <laughs> no, one, no one ever said that in the cycling community. It was almost like, well, how does this guy think he's going to cycle the world's longest road? Because I, I don't look like a cyclist. I, you know, I'm quite, I look like a rugby player. Yeah. But I just took that as a strength. Um, and, and, and thankfully for me, no one's ever said that. But I could imagine how it could be perceived by these experts who do this day in, day out and plan these projects. Um, but then I, just, I think that gives you more of that kind of that underdog. And actually, had you, though I was never going to be on the cards, had you have ever not succeeded, then you've come from someone who do, doesn't live and breathe that world anyway. So. No, you're true. I, I like to be the underdog. My father telling me in the last two minutes in the military was like, you can argue him till you're blue in the face or you just go prove him wrong. You know, becoming yeah. one of the first army guys to go SPS and not SAS, I was told that you couldn't do that. It was like, and it's just a continuing theme. So, so I do like to be the underdog. I've enjoyed cycling and things like that. So my USP is I take a challenge or sport or discipline I've never done before and find the biggest challenge. So this year I was supposed to kayak the River Nile from source to sea, which has never been done before. Um, oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, 4,280 miles. So that will happen probably next year or depending when COVID uh, lets us out. But that's it. I like to be... I like to be the underdog. If I went and did another cycling challenge, you'd probably, you know, Mark, but I do always use Mark Bowman as an example. He, he always does the cycling challenges and you just think, yeah, he's going to do it because he, he's already got that. Whereas for me, it's like, I want to learn about kayak and I want to know the certain things, which from my time in the military, private security, the bike ride, that sort of mindset and planning preparation will be dropped into this. But and, uh, Yeah, that's it. It's kind of, um, and that's what I admire by what you do. And a lot of the people that I've been talking to recently, it's that lift and shift. And every time you are willing to expose yourself and learn more about, be it a sport, be it um, a story, whatever it might be, but you're, you're exposing yourself to you know, failure, um, you know, the climate, all of these sorts of things that to a lot of people, you know, would scare the shit out of, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, this is, of course, of no comparison. But I remember when I, when I went travelling after uni, and I, I went around the world on my own, and I was quite blase about it. I was like, well, you know, I'll land in South Africa, Australia, Thailand, and what will be will be. And I always remember my brother saying to me, like, I still couldn't do that to this day. I still couldn't go and travel around the world on my own. What, what on earth were you bloody thinking? But in the back of my head, it was always, well, if I run out of money, I'll come home. And if it goes wrong, I'll jump on a plane and come home. I'd rather regret trying it than... Yeah, no, very true. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. I, I think a lot of people, you know, I've, I've had this before. If I, if I was to tell someone on the street, right, you're running the London Marathon next week or next month, we'll give them a bit of chance. Uh, they'd probably <laughs> tell me every reason why they couldn't do it from the reasons why they can. So I always like to block the outs or the excuses uh, and, and give the reason why. So for example, on, on this bike ride, we, we, uh, we raised over 900,000 pounds as well for Heads Together for the mental health. Amazing, we, well done. We had a, a, it's called a wheels down ball. We were planning the, at the Hilton Park Lane, the big black tie event before I'd even gone off. Um, right. We, we, we'd raised 70,000 pounds here at a, a do here in Aberdeen and £50,000 of that was a deposit for the hotel so already we were, money was getting moved for the welcome back and I hadn't even set off yet 
and I remember sat there in the meeting, the meeting, we had a committee meeting and um, a good friend of mine, Amanda, who uh, from Fireball, who runs the events, amazing event. She, she used to pose the question to me. So what was the, what's the alternative? You no, know, what, what's the, what, what's the contingency? And I never used to answer it. And she used to get really frustrated. <laughs> Alana used to answer it. Alana would say, well, we're going to Dean's funeral. That's the contingency. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I really need to go for a drink with Alana. She sounds awesome. But then when I actually got back, when it was successful, I sat down with Amanda and I said, look, I knew what you, I know why you were posing them questions. But for me, if I knew there was an alternative or there was a contingency, once it got hard for me on the ground, you naturally take that easy route out. So for me, there was no route out other than the finish line. And she said, oh yeah, I, I get your mindset. So See, that's, in, that's interesting because I, was, I, I have a friend who's like that and I'll say to him, as a, as a project manager, I'll say things like, what's the contingency? What, you know, the what if? Um, and you do do risk assessments and situational analysis, but one friend's a firm believer, like you, I don't have a plan B. If that's allowed in my thoughts, I'm not interested. Whereas I was speaking to someone else the other day and they said that if they didn't have that alternative option, say if you're going to be a singer or a dancer and you need that, they, they referred to it as, um, what's your alternative income? So rather than it being seen as a, you failed, here's another option, it's more of a, a choice that you can then make to succeed in business or make some money or whatever it might be. So I'm not sure which way I go on it. If yeah, I, take... I, think, I think this is where Alana comes in, in it with, with, with me is the fact that, you know, I genuinely believe that anyone, and I'm not, I'm not just saying it, that anyone can break a world record. If you take away the mortgage, the business, who's looking after the kids, and that's what Alana does. Alana sort of deals with, Alana's the, you're the second person you mentioned then about, you know, income, plan B, plan C. That's Alana. Yeah. Um, and I'm just, there's one plan. I have my strength and weaknesses. So she, she protects me from all of that and just says, and the family give me the support and say, just go do it. And if everyone had that, was, had the luxury of that, I genuinely believe that anyone could break a world record. And you know what? I think that's the kind of, again, sounds so easy, but one of my real kind of piss off points is that there are so many incredible people out there who want to do incredible things, be them a personal journey, an extreme challenge, or you find that everyone doing good in this world has got to really bloody fight and they have to worry about the mortgage and the children and the bills. And it's so, I just want to flip that whole money-making on its head and, 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 so many people don't get to realise their potential and push themselves because of those outside influences. No, it's true. I think the hardest part, especially when I was training, was juggling that lifestyle. Who's picking Molly up from school? And you know, but once you, I think I'd only been cycling three weeks and I decided to go do Land's Edge on a Groves just to prove a point to someone because my, my original coach, he kept changing the training programme. And he's like, well, we need to get the miles in. He's always thinking worst case scenario. And I said, well, I'm still running the business and, you know, we hadn't, hadn't fully handed over to Alana yet. So I just proved the point. I just went off and did Land's End John O'Groats, having only cycled for three weeks. And, and just made the point to me, if you take away all those distractions, yeah, then I can do it. It's, it's as you said, it's juggling that, that lifestyle, looking after the kids, making sure there's money coming in, you know, and 
unfortunately that's the world that we're in but I genuinely believe that there's so many fit people out there or, or just people who just want to push themselves um, but I'm, I'm very fortunate I'm in that in that position that uh, yeah. lets me do it and I think what that really boils down to is is having a great team around you be that in the professional sense or, or personal sense that everyone takes up what they are great at um, and allows that either team, individual or business to really, because what you've really spoken about is, is that relentless focus on where you're trying to go yeah. and having that trust in the people around you to allow you to do that. Because frankly, without all of that, you are, you are screwed. You, you can't do it. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, we, we had an issue on this where I actually had a support team that started with me and they were, you know, I thought they were the professionals and actually I had to send them home. They weren't up to the, up to the job and Alana then took over, over from that as well. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, it is having that right team, that inner circle um, around you. It just takes away all those distractions. It does, does make it a lot easier. Yeah, and I guess you have the added benefit with, obviously, with a, certainly with Alana, is that, you, of course, you fundamentally trust her and you know that she will make the right decisions. And I think when you're in that space, personally and professionally, it's so, it's so rewarding when you've got that great team. And we can all look back on our jobs and careers and go, without them, yeah. either I'd have been screwed or my life, you know, my, my time in, at that place wouldn't have been as incredible as it was. No, no, um, true. And you want to, like, in a way, it's like your ideal football team. It's like if you could cherry pick all those people that you worked with before and bring them together on a, a great company idea or a challenge, you'd just do it, wouldn't you? Yeah, no, you know, it's true. And I, I think that's one thing Alana I've looked at going forward is, is organizing, setting up her own, um, own company to help people on challenges because we've done it from the planning side, but we've also done it from the athlete side. So we know what what annoys you and, and things like that so yeah. it's something we're looking at it's just for me i just want to share the share the knowledge you know so people can i'm not saying go cycle fourteen thousand miles it's ludicrous but you know even if you just set yourself a, a mini challenge even if it's a, a 5k run you know what i mean you know everyone has their own sort of comfort zones and what takes them out and mine's obviously a bit higher than, than others yeah so. Well, listen, I'll, I'm definitely going to connect you to, to James May because I think with what he does, I mean, his philosophy is all about taking ordinary people on extraordinary challenges. So, um, I'll, you know, obviously, separately, I'll, I'll hook you guys up because I think you get on really, really well. Um, well, listen, honestly, I could talk to you all day and there's so many things I, you know, I'd love to probe and question. Um, a lot of it, obviously, I can't because <laughs> of your background. Um, but I just wanted to say a massive thank you. I know you're moving to California literally next week, and so you're in the middle of, of packing up. So um, thank you so, so much. Um, oh, thank you Oh, you're very welcome. It's been a, an absolute breath of fresh air, and, you know, I wish the family well in California, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, keep in touch. Yeah, the door's always open for you there as well. Oh, thank you so much, Dean. All right, take care. Thank you. So that's it. You've made it. The show's over. Thank you for being with us. I hope you've been able to take something away, maybe solve a problem, or just know you're not alone. Here's hoping it made you smile with a few laughs along the way. Please feel free to find me on all social media channels, and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just search the Rony Morale podcast. Have an awesome day, and see you next time. <laughs>